0: To Read Between the Lines, a podcast on sports and current issues. My name is Will, and I'm here today, like always, with my co-host, Brad.
1: Hey, what's up, everybody?
0: If you haven't already, make sure to like our Facebook page and follow our Twitter account, which both are RBL Sports Podcast. We want to thank you for taking time out of your morning, day, or night, and listening to two guys chatting about sports for today. Last episode, Brad and I got into a good debate on the MLB and their pace of play rule changes that they're trying to make. If you haven't taken some time to listen, we highly recommend you do when you get the chance. This week we have yet another hot topic, but I'll let my partner in crime introduce it. So Brad, take it away.
1: All right, well, what I wanted to talk about today was uh, this new NBA rule that uh, affects offensive rebounding. And I'll give you a little bit of backstory on it because I think it's kind of funny. Um, You know, here we are in the beginning of the football preseason, getting ready for football to ramp up. And I keep getting these notifications from different apps, you know, different things that are saying, this new offensive rebounding rule is really going to help the Wizards since they acquired Dwight Howard. (laughs) And the first couple times I saw it, I was just kind of annoyed. I was like, get out of my face. I don't really want to hear about the NBA's rule changes right now. But the third or fourth time I got this notification, I said, okay, I got to look into this and see why specifically this rule helps the Wizards because they now have Dwight Howard. And so essentially the rule is that Uh, with an offensive rebound the shot clock instead of resetting to 24 seconds which it traditionally has will now reset to 14 seconds. The idea behind that from the NBA is that that's going to lead to more shots and um, a higher shot rate generally should lead to more scoring. So that's how I understood that rule and I thought you know this kind of falls into the broader trend in my estimation of you know, sports just looking to get more and more offensive, higher scores, um, bigger totals. Oh, I yeah. thought that would oh, be yeah. a good topic for us to start with. So, uh, Will, I'm curious, what do you think about the new NBA rule and kind of where it fits into where seem, where things seem to be going?
0: So, it's definitely something that when you when you first brought it up to me, I was I, it immediately intrigued me because for me it was very similar where. It does fit in line with a lot of what professional sports, especially in in the United States, is currently doing in terms of we just want to see more scoring because they think that that's going to produce better games. That's going to produce um, more people in the seats and it's just going to have higher ratings on the television. And yes, I'm not going to lie. Seeing people score, especially in football, especially in basketball, um, hockey, all that kind of stuff, you want to see scoring. It makes a game more exciting because there's back and forth, back and forth. I'm not going to debate that. But at the same time, I have seen plenty of games in all different sports in my life where I have seen a great game that is very low scoring, but yet still a great game. Football is one of those where maybe not as much. Um, It's pretty rare to see a really good game that's low scoring, but I have seen a few and I've even officiated a few. Um, But low scoring basketball games, I mean, most NCAA basketball games, pretty low scoring. I think the average team scores about 65, 70 points a game. That's not too many. Too many points there. Um, and, you know, hockey is the same way. Baseball, obviously, you have those low scoring games, but a pitcher's duel is a pitcher's duel. And that's a lot of fun to watch. It, it intrigued me because I, I definitely think it's going to help with basketball, um, especially because of the fact that I think it fits along the lines of what FIBA has been doing for the last few years um, in regards to them wanting to. Create the same instance in that international basketball level of having that 14 second shot clock because they started doing it a few years ago. And so I think it's just a trend that the NBA looked at. They tried it out in their G League the last couple seasons as well. And I think just through looking at the FIBA games and looking at their G League games, they decided, yeah, I think this would make sense.
1: Yeah, and I, I think you have to give the NBA credit uh, over time for generally trying to get a more aesthetically pleasing product. You know, as you look back, yes. you know, the Rule changes that far predate us, things like, um, you know, in the 50s when they said we got to have a shot clock. Okay, that's that makes sense. And at this point, you don't even think about whether or not there should be a shot clock in any level of basketball you watch. You just say yes. shot clock. Yes. That makes sense. Um, yep. And then you go to, um, you know, something that was very controversial at the time the three point line. Um, that's late yep. 70s, early 80s. They decided to go with yep. the three point line and they did a trial season, I believe, in 79 80. And a lot of people looked at it and said, "This is a dumb gimmick. We don't want to deal with it." But if you look at the modern game, the three-point line is a huge strategic piece. It's something that's very important to the way the game's played. And yep, frank- absolutely.
0: Frankly, I can't even imagine basketball without a three-point line. Uh, oh, I agree with you. And I know, I know plenty of people that, um, and even you know, professional analysts too, that have all said, "If you look at the records that were set." pre-modern era of basketball, which is before the three-point line, they don't even classify those as current record holders. They There's a lot of people out there that truly believe that the only records that truly mean anything are the ones from modern era, a.k.a. the three-point line and beyond um, era of basketball.
1: Yeah, so I mean, I think you'd have to identify that as a rule change that really changed the entire paradigm of what the NBA is and does. Um, yeah. So I, I give them credit for tinkering with the game over time to try and make it better because uh, while I don't have a lot to compare it to in, say, the pre-shot clock or pre-three-point era, uh, yep. I, I do generally concede that those are better things for the NBA to have in place and, and for all organized Agreed. basketball. Agreed. Um, so one thing that I think is interesting, though, is... Uh, 1997 NBA Finals My Jazz lost to Jordan's Bulls And and in that NBA Finals They played six games And the Jazz scored 104 points In one of the games And the Bulls never went over 100 points And the end of the 97 season Spurred some more of these rule changes Aimed at offense So they changed uh, the forearm rule You can't impede a player going towards a basket With your forearm Um, They they expanded and changed the charge area underneath the basket and then they okay. they actually tinkered with a three-point line and made it a little further out which on the surface might seem like that's not geared towards more scoring but what it did is it kinda opened up the paint a little bit more so you couldn't just yep. throw the ball down into the gigantic guy down there stop yep. the ball and then kick it back out um, you had to have people who could play in space a little more um, and I think that those 97 rules were sneaky in terms of making the game a little bit more aesthetically pleasing. You know, the ball moves more. You're not just throwing the thing down on the block and watching Shaq pound the ball for four seconds and turn around and shoot it. Um, Yeah, makes sense. So I I think it's interesting, but um, I guess if you go back to the fundamental issue of is it going to make a difference to whittle that ten seconds off the shot clock for every rebound? Can we actually get higher scoring games? I almost take offense to that as a fan because... I'm gonna watch the NBA, and they know they got me. They know I'm gonna watch the games. So yeah. who, who are they appealing to at this? They're they're looking for fans that otherwise would look at a score and say, "Well, I want to see 120 to 118, not yep. I want to see 99, 97." Exactly. And I, so I think that's kind of interesting that um, you know maybe they maybe they don't care what the hardcore sports fan really thinks about the rule change because they know they got us. They're looking to appeal to a broader audience. And I don't know if the NBA would admit that, but I'm curious what you think about that as a as a
0: concept, now, Will. I'm glad you brought that up because that's exactly my my thought process in all of it as well. Even not just the NBA, with the NHL, with the NFL, MLB, a lot of, like what you said, the hardcore fans are going to be there. They're They're not going to not be there. I love hockey. It's my favorite sport to watch. And then I follow baseball the most, right? So... Both of those sports, it doesn't matter how boring the game is, if my teams that I like are playing, I'm gonna watch or I'm gonna listen to on the radio. It's it there's no a there's no, oh no, I'm not gonna watch it this time. The only time that happens is if I'm working or I'm out, you know, at dinner with family or friends or whoever it may be. You know, if it's not that, I'm going to be watching that game. And so I, I completely agree with you in the fact that Yes, they are absolutely making these rule changes, not just the NBA, the other one, all the other leagues too, that make these you know, rule changes to help increase scoring or help increase the possibility of scoring um, to entice those quote-unquote fair-weather fans, if you will, to come and watch the sport. Because at the end of the day, the leagues are all businesses. At the end of the day, the leagues want their money. And so, the more people they can attract means the more money they're going to get. Especially if they can attract more on the TV ratings, because then, when their current contracts end, they can approach those same, uh, you know, TV stations, um, NBC, ABC, whoever it may be, and then say, "Look, we have our ratings have increased by fifteen percent each year for the last four years. You know, we want more money, and take it or leave it." and if they say no one of the other companies will pick them up so they're they're in this they're in this system right now of they're going to get picked up people know it and they know it so they're going to just keep trying to increase the ratings to just increase the amount of revenue that they're bringing in
1: yeah and i i think that's why you know us us hardcore sports fans we should probably be offended by this because they're not targeting us they don't care about us they know they have our money they know yeah, that we're going to be there. We're going to buy the shirts. I can and we're understand gonna, that. We're going to buy the tickets. So it, it is interesting to see um, how these sports try to, you know, appeal to a broader audience. Um, <clears throat> I, I think another part of this, is I, I looked around outside the NBA to other leagues um, for some of their more significant rule changes, um, I, I think you know back in 2005 ish, the NHL made their big package of rule changes. Yes. Uh, with like yep. two line passes, changing where the yep. goalie can play the puck. Yep. Um, I think they shrank goalie equipment in that same batch of new rules. Um, <clears throat> those I think are generally accepted as being, you know, in favor of offense. Um, yep. I think with uh, football, obviously, they have been very much in the business of trying to put more points on the board, but I think that um, they get a little bit crossed up between safety and scoring. Whereas the NBA, they're looking for a prettier product. The NFL is actually, they're, they're making these changes. And I think there's some really blurry lines there that they're hoping that maybe some people don't yes. notice.
0: <laughs> yes, absolutely. And I am so happy you brought this up because that was one of my main talking points that I had here. Is the, where football is, and it's not, it's not just the NFL. It's the NCAA. It's all levels of football. High school, Pop Warner, every level is there, there's this perception from people that a lot of the rules changes that are happening in football and the NFL and the NCAA are for offensive players to have more freedom and ability to score. And this is, in turn, actually a side effect to the actual reasoning behind the rules, which is player safety, like you mentioned. These rules include the defensive players, the blindside blocks, targeting, and, and so on and so forth. By making it safer, quote-unquote, And I say, quote unquote, because of the fact that football is not a safe game to play, no matter how it's played. Um, You know, two moving objects going head to head, someone's going to get hurt. It's inevitable. So anyways, by making it safer to play football, a natural side effect of these rules is that offensive players have more advantages to be able to score because defenders can't do a lot from what they used to be able to do. You know, they can't come in and just absolutely clean your clock like they used to. And that's a great thing. That is a great thing to have because we don't want to see these injuries. For me, it's a win-win. The fact that they have these rules being put in place to allow us to not see these gruesome injuries that take place. And then we also get to see more offensive scoring and bigger plays throughout a game consistently. That's a win-win to me. I don't want to go see, you know, Antonio Brown run down the field and get absolutely clamored, you know, clobbered and destroyed on the sideline. But what I do want to see is him. You know, do a juke move to us on a cornerback and then cut in towards the safety, and the safety was late to react, and because of that, he catches a ball and was able to run right past him and score a touchdown. Like that's something that is exciting to see, um, and at the same time, they stay safe, um, which again is a win-win.
1: Yeah, and I think you know the N- the NFL would tell you that uh, you know it's easier to try to legislate out dangerous things than it is yep. to try and get these officials to change the way they officiate. Um, but I, I think that's been maybe the biggest and most talked about issue of the preseason so far, you know, three games in, is the new lowering of the helmet rule. And, you know, you have ESPN yeah. or, or, you know, other media personalities. Someone, someone I really like a lot is Lewis Riddick, who uh, he's a former player, former scout and personnel guy, and now he's yeah. a talking head on ESPN. You know, he's all over Twitter saying it's just going to be flag football. This is going to be an off-the-charts offensive year for the NFL if they can't figure this rule out. And, I don't know, while I, I think that scoring does generally bring more people in, um, I think there is a part of at least some of the fans that likes the violence.
0: Um, oh, absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, the thing with football is you're always going to have that violence. As long as it's tackle football, there's still going to be that violence. Um, It's just not going to be what it was, right? And so the comeback you can have towards that is the fact that if you have these rules set in place and scoring gets way out of hand, games are going to end up being four to five hours long and... As a person who officiates football, that sounds horrible um, because it—the game is already long. The game is already long enough, um, and especially the NCAA game because the NCAA stops the clock more frequently than the NFL does, um, and so the more scoring you have means the longer the game's going to go. Um, the other caveat to it is the more turnovers or incomplete passes you have, the longer the game's going to go too. So it's not just scoring that has that instance, it's other things as well, but definitely if you have more scoring, it's going to stop the game because the time doesn't stop, the time doesn't start or run after a score. So I I agree with you with the fact that it it is going to be interesting to see how the NFL responds to how the preseason has been going so far. But if you look at the preseason scores, they haven't been that high scoring. So I really don't think there's too much of an issue there, um, at least from what we've seen in the preseason. And I think anytime the NFL makes a big rule change like what they just did with the lowering of the helmet, you always see a, the, the officials are trying to understand the letter of the law, right? And so they're entering into the preseason games, and they are officiating that new rule specifically to the letter of the law. They're going to throw the flag because to the letter of the law, that's what it is. And what that in turn does is the NFL is then able to look at the the, the film. They're able to break down, okay, does – like is this this or do we need to make an exception, right? I don't know if you've ever seen the NFL rulebook. It's filled with exceptions, um, which isn't bad. <laughs> but it's – you know, but part of it is because the NFL puts in a rule and it's a rule that's going to stay – but then there's exceptions to those rules that say, OK, if they, if this – if A, B, C, and D happen, it's still fine. But anything from E and below is still illegal and is warranted of a penalty flag, correct? And so because of this new rule change, I think we've been seeing throughout the preseason as it's progressed them – getting more acquainted with the true letter of the law and what is an actual, you know, penalty in their new rule. Yeah, and
1: I think, you know, as someone who officiates, as you mentioned, you can probably speak a little bit more to this, but I I don't know how you can just flip the switch and say, well, you know, I know you've been doing this for a long, long time, and this equals this, but you know what? Today that's a foul. I know it looks like a tackle, but now that's a foul. Um, So I, I will give the officials a little bit of you know a, a little bit of leeway just because there has to be some sort of a grace period institute something like this where yeah they're going to suck the first few times they go out there you know how many yep. examples could they possibly see have seen on film how many times could they possibly have seen live game speed game action and had a chance to throw the flag i, I have done very little officiating but at times i have oh my god the game's a blur and I'm not talking about yeah. officiating professionals. You know, I'm talking about just officiating, trying to be one person watching ten athletes, twenty athletes, whatever it is. So I, I do sympathize with those zebras because no matter what they do, they're wrong. You know?
0: Yeah. But, no, absolutely. You know, one one thing that uh, my old director said um, when I was in grad school, he said, "Will, officiating is the only job where they expect you to be perfect and be better from there." <laughs> um and it's true, it's true, so, but no, you, you you said it right, because the the officials are in the tough spot of having to say, "Yep, last year this was fine, now it's not, right? But the officials didn't make the rule, and we officials know that, and the other thing about it, too, is that before the season starts, coaches, managers, all that go through the, okay, these are the updated rules. What was legal in years past is now not legal. And that's when they can say, okay, well, what exactly is this? Or why is it now illegal? You know, that's when they can hash out all their concerns and issues. So basically by the time they get to their first game, their first preseason game, whatever it may be, they've already had those conversations with who they needed to have and have now accepted the fact that it's now illegal. So don't do it. So it's actually not as hard – um, on us as you think, um, because of that, um, which is nice. So one thing um, that I wanted to bring up as well, within regards to the whole rule changing uh, towards you know bettering scoring, um, has to what I've typically noticed, and what I've typically noticed is that when a league doesn't matter which league wants to add rules that aid and benefit more scoring, the simpler the rule is to understand the more effective it is. That's what I've come to realize when looking at you know, different rules changes that leagues have made for this. And the rules that are harder to grasp or are more complex in their language and interpretations end up being the least impactful and sometimes have the reverse effect where it ends up hurting it. Um, and so I wanted to see, like, see your opinion on that um, if you agreed or whatever and also if you had any examples off the top of your head that you can think of.
1: Um, yeah, no, I'd actually I'd honestly like to hear um, a little bit more what you what you had in mind with uh, you know simplicity leading to a better overall rule. Uh, nothing springs immediately to mind, but maybe if you uh, give me a little bit more, uh, maybe of kind of what you re- uncovered in your research, I yeah. something will spring. So, out. I mean,
0: first example, and it's probably one of the most recent, is with the NHL and when they changed their overtime structure. Um, their their main issue with overtime wasn't to oh. Let's have more scoring because obviously in overtime in hockey, it's golden goal. So it's not like there's going to be an opportunity to score multiple goals in overtime. But what the NHL was not happy about was before they changed the rule from 4v4 um, in overtime to 3v3, 60%, just over 60% of their games in overtime when it was 4v4 were then going into shootout, which is dreadful. And still is dreadful. No one likes it. The goalies don't like it. The skaters don't like it. I'm pretty sure the officials probably don't like it. It's boring. It's a horrible way to end a hockey game. And so the NHL, knowing that, hey, we don't want these games, especially later on in the season, which it could dictate if you're making the playoffs or not, or dictate if you're going to be the division winner or not. We don't want to be to be dictated by something that is not commonplace in the game of in our game of hockey. And so the NHL, just like the NBA with the offensive rebounding, did a good job with saying less people on the ice means more open ice, meaning more fast break, more end-to-end. So by just studying that, they said, let's go 3v3. Just keep the time the same, keep goal and goal the same, doesn't matter. We'll just go 3v3 and let's try it out. Since the first year of 3v3 introduction, only just over 30% of the overtime games had been going in a shootout. They dropped in half from the amount. Wow. And it's exciting. I mean, I don't know how how much you remember from 4v4, but me who absolutely loves hockey, I hated 4v4 overtime. I thought it was boring. I didn't think it was like nothing they played the same game of hockey. There's nothing different from the 5v5 to the 4v4. But 3v3, it is a completely different game of hockey and it truly is fast paced end to end just constant like opportunity here then opportunity there and just big save after another and then sometime like most of the time someone just nails their goal and just boom done game over and it's exciting every single time even when you lose like at, after that loss if my team loses i sit back and i'm just like wow that was intense <laughs> and that's that's, the, that's what leagues want to have. They want to have the fans sit back and just have to catch their breath and just be like, oh my gosh, what did I just watch? You know. And so that was like really, for me, the first example that I had um, in terms of a simple to understand. We're going from 4v4 to 3v3. Simple. Nothing additional. That's all it was. And look at how effective it already has been.
1: Yeah, yeah, it has been effective. I, I think um, even a simple rule, though, does have its complications. I mean, I remember the first time under the new 3v3 rules where I'm watching overtime and a team takes a penalty. I'm like, wait, a penalty puts an extra guy on the ice? Yeah. What hockey have I been watching? So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, nothing is completely cut and dry, but I, I do agree that that is a more simple-to-understand rule. Yeah, And, you know, maybe um, a league like the, like the NFL, maybe they've already... Put in some of those rules, and it's kind of like the three-point line we talked about earlier, where we just don't even notice them anymore.
0: Um yeah. I think, and that and that's very well the case. That's very well the case. I mean, for example, you know, the changes in kickoffs that happened a few years back, where you can't create that wedge in kickoffs anymore. You know, that's yeah. that's commonplace. Like if you brought up the wedge to a person that's 16 years old, they're not going to know what the heck you're talking about. Yeah, you know, but you know, someone like you, someone like me, someone that's older than us. If you mention the wedge, they're gonna know what you're talking about. Oh, yeah, we used to run that play every single kickoff. Yeah, you know and but that's but that's something that is now commonplace. But that made the game safer, but it also allowed blockers to kind of spread out and made the playmaker returner have an opportunity to then break break away from different defenders. Yeah. Um, obviously, it was nicer to have a wall in front of you. Um, but by by being able to not have that wall, now we see these really nice cut moves, these really nice juke moves um, through holes, through gaps, and you see the creativity that some of these playmakers and returners have, um, which is really exciting to see sometimes. Um, so one of the things I wanted to also bring up is with the reverse effects um, to rule changes that people bring in. And it uh, again, like I said, I love the NHL the most, so it's another example with the NHL, but it is a good one to make, is... Um even though the NHL seems to have nailed the overtime rule um that they made some of their other rule changes that they made especially in the 90s other things like that hasn't been as effective since 1992 the 1992 season when Mario Lemieux came back from you know battling cancer scored 160 points in I think 60 games um I can't remember his name but uh the rookie set the all-time uh scored as a rookie at 73 goals You know, like, since that season, the NHL has seen a continuous decline in goals per game every season, Um, where in 92, the league saw its highest goal per game mark in five years at just under eight goals per game. Last season, the the NHL, this past season, saw about four and a half goals per game scored. So you can see that decline there. So why this decline? Well... Some of the rule changes that protected scores, but limited defensibility. So the NHL started introducing um, throughout, you know, starting around that time throughout the nineties, early two thousands, there were different rule changes coming in that helped protect the skaters with the pucks. You know, there's no longer, you couldn't hook and you couldn't grab as much as you used to be able to in front of the crease. Um, There used to also not be a crease. Um, So by, so basically you could just hit the goalie. You know, you could get in the way of the goalie more, which allowed the goalie to then be, you know, brought out of his his comfort zone and then out of position and then get scored on. Um so some of these rule changes created this reverse effect where by protecting scores and protecting them in the offensive zone, the defense instead of being more spread out and saying I'm going to come over and just absolutely crush you, they had to now stay at home because They couldn't be caught out of position. They're already limited on what they could do against the player with the puck. So now you see the defense. How many times do you see it when they transition to their defensive end? They just sit in front of that goal. You know, they sit from pipe to pipe and they're just waiting, waiting to block shots, waiting for anyone that gets close to get in their way, you know, kind of stick lift, poke check, whatever have you. But that's what you see. And back in the day, everything was so free moving and spread out that there was so much more open ice because of it. And now that's one of the reasons why you don't see it is because de- defenders and even forwards that have to defend in their end are limited or became limited on what they could do. And now they they stay more at home rather than trying to spread out and just go and try to really get the puck off of someone.
1: Yeah, I think that you know there's always the law of unintended consequences when you do this stuff because – You know, you can talk about something like you're saying with hockey that's very natural. Um, Or you can also talk about, you know, the modern, like, cat and mouse NFL. Where, you know, if you change the, you know, the touchback line to the 25, like, we're going to, Bill Belichick's going to figure out how he can manipulate that. He's he's going to get an advantage out of that. And and you might make the game more dangerous. You might make it harder. um, Because these guys are always going to be looking for ways to game it out. And I think that's yep. that's part of the uh I guess maybe foundationally that's something that makes me think are you sure when you say you want to change these rules, do you really, really know how that's gonna be interpreted, how it's gonna go? And you know, I think some of these things have been a disaster, you know, and we've seen some of these oh, things have to be absolutely. reversed because they're just terrible. You know, yep. In baseball a couple of years ago, the you know, the transfer rule at second base like they had to make an in season change because that was not working out. Yep. Um so I, I think Absolutely. That, you know, for you know, ten seconds if we go back to, you know, our basketball topic, ten seconds on the shot clock or taking off the shot clock for an offensive rebound. Um uh, I, I don't foresee that being any crazy major change that's gonna cause a lot of nope, problems. I don't either. I don't either. But um I, I do think that you have to be very careful, uh, just willy nilly making these changes to the rules because the margins are thin these days, and people are going to figure out a way to game them out.
0: Absolutely. And I, and I agree with you because, you know, by the offensive rebounds only giving you 14 seconds, okay, the only time that that's really going to affect the game is late in game. But that's the time where you want it to be that intense part of the game. So if, if, if this rule change is truly only going to really have an impact late in game, and it's going to make it more intense... It's just like the player safety with the NFL. It's a win-win in my eyes. It's making the game more intense where you want it to be intense. And it's allowing teams that are down to have a chance for more possessions, to have a chance for more shots. So I I think the NBA really, like you said earlier, really didn't nail it by saying, yep, we're going to introduce it. Because it's already been in FIBA, it's been in their G League, and it's been in the WNBA. So... It only makes sense that they're going to do it too. And I, I, I wouldn't put it past the NCAA makes that, that change where it's going to go, instead of a 30-second shot clock, it'll be 20 or it'll be 15. Um, I, really, I really think, because that's what we typically see, is it starts in the professional, then it moves down to college, and it moves down to high school, and so on and so forth. So I really think that's where we're on. Um, and then in the, another example I have, how you said where, do we really need this rule change? Do we really need this to happen? Look at the trapezoid rule. In hockey. With the goalies. What is the point of the trapezoid? There is literally no point to keep a goalie from being able to go to his or her corner to play the puck. Other than just, we want to keep our goalie in the goal. And that's that leads me to the whole other decline. Why there's a decline still in points per game. is because... Since goalies aren't leaving their goal as much, and the only time they do is when it's directly behind their goal, so it's not like it's too hard to get back in front of it, goalies way back in the day, I mean, Ron Hextall, prime example, anytime the puck came into his zone and he knew he could get there first, he was skating out to that puck and playing it, and if you ended up having to just happen to get there first, he was going to hit you, And but what does that do? It used to put goalies out of position and then they'd have to scramble back and dive across the ice and everything like that but it was exciting and it because they were out of position you saw goals getting scored so with the trapezoid rules goalies are just staying at home they just sit on their posts and they're just like yep I'm ready for a save I'm ready for a shot here you go I'm going to save it you know 30 years ago in hockey a great save percentage was 880 <laughs> if you, if if you have a 900 save percentage now, you are considered an average to slightly below average goalie. You know, and and that's why. You know, goalies the these some of these rule changes have made goalies be able to just I'm just going to stand right here and I'm just going to I'm just ready for every single shot. I don't need to play the puck. I just got to save it. Yeah, I agree. And that that's a shame because like you
1: said, that's a breathless moment, man, when your goalie ventures out, you're like, "What are you doing?" I, I yeah, think that's th-
0: intense. Yeah, Neuer coming out of goal during the World Cup final and you're just <laughs> like, "What are you doing? It's a one-nothing game." Yeah. Yeah, we right? don't we don't need the sweeper keeper today, man. Stay back there. Yeah. Exactly. But it's an exciting time because you're just you're just sitting there like with just nails biting and you're just, "Oh my gosh, what is going to happen?" And then whew, Okay, we're good. We're good. Like, yeah, and I don't want to so, limit
1: that guy's skill. Like, if if you have a goalie who's a good passer, let that guy handle exactly. the puck. Like, I don't want to yeah. see him become a guy if, who just sits in his crease. If he's a skilled exactly. hockey
0: player, let him be a skilled hockey player. You know. Yep. If you have a goalie that wants to hit, let him hit. Yeah, totally. <laughs> you know, agree. It's it's all those things, and so, um, you know, we are coming up on time here, so we can we can start closing out. Um, but I, you know, we we did bring up. I think a lot of good points, especially with the fact that how I think it really does come down to research done by the leagues um, before just saying, like you said, the willy nilly of just throwing it in there. Um, Really, really, if the leagues take their time and say, "Okay, is this needed? If it's needed, why is it needed? Okay, we have the why. Okay, well, where would it be the most effective? Like if we if we put this rule in, where is it going to have the most effect on our game? And if where it's going to have the most effect is going to be a positive effect, then go ahead and make the rule change. But once you, once you answer the question of where, like where is it going to fit? And you're like, no, I really don't think it's going to help our game. It's going to benefit our game. Do we really need to put it in there then? And I think that's, that's, you know, going forward, what leagues should really be trying to, to look at. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I agree. Um, I think that, you know, they have some of the best minds you can imagine. Uh, they do a good job of getting committee together of players, coaches, media, you know, whoever you can imagine to think about these things before they get put in place. I think they do their homework, but I do yeah. think that uh, sometimes common sense leaves the room. And I think other times they get so hopelessly married to some of these rules that they're unwilling to walk it back. If it ends up being a disaster, you have to cut bait and say, you know what, this was a bad idea. Um, and, And I'll give you an example. As I was doing NBA research for this, there was actually a time where if you committed two personal fouls in a period, you had to sit on the bench until the end of the period. You couldn't foul anymore. So the idea was they had a pace of play problem where at the end of games they were just hacking each other. And they said, well, how can we get this out of the game? How about if you can only commit two fouls per period or else you're done? You know, you got to wait till the end of the period. Yeah. So they went with that rule for a little while. Didn't really work out. Obviously, it's not on the books today. (laughs) They decided it was a bad rule and they went away from it. But I give them credit for trying it and then finding out that, you know what, this is a dumpster fire. Don't do it. So yeah, I, absolutely. I hope that they can, uh, you know, maintain that perspective as they go forward and if, you know, there's some unintended consequence out there that nobody thought of that makes this rule just completely untenable, then then walk away, you know, just just be okay with it. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, there's one thing um that Adam Silver has done a really good job um as a commissioner is that he is 100% a players commissioner. Yeah. He is he is a commissioner for those players. You know, he wants to give the best he can for them. You know, obviously, he cares about us as fans. He cares about the money generated from fans buying merchandise, from going to the games, everything like that. But at the end of the day, his main priority is the players. And because of that, the NBA to me is the most well suited to these new rule change introductions because I think they do it the best. In, in in current in current times where they are testing everywhere they can they they test any possible rule change the first thing they do is test in the g-league i don't know if you know this last year's g-league season they had four officials on the court because the nba is looking into possibly put four officials on the court to help see all those fouls wow. see all those violations so they're still testing it they're gonna still see how it goes um, but that's one of the things they are testing and it's great that they do it in the G League because that's, you know, obviously not a lot of players from the G League end up making it in the NBA, but the G League is NBA caliber players, so if it works there, it's probably going to be effective in the NBA. And so, it, like I said, the NBA is really suited in doing that, and I think other leagues like the NHL, like the MLB, with all the uh, minor league systems they have, um, are have the opportunity to be just as well suited to try other things out because the nhl can go to the ahl and say all right this is going to be the rule changes you're going to do um mlb can go to triple a double a single a and say all right we're going to do these which they currently do as well um you know with the pace of play stuff so it it's there it's there um and i think solid testing um helps them for sure
1: Yeah, it sounds like we agree that Adam Silver is kind of the right guy at the right time, the right amount of progressive, and uh, I think he's doing a good job. And I hope other commissioners will take a page out of his book.
0: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So I think that about does it for us. Um, You know, This this was a lot of fun. I I enjoyed talking about this um, a lot and really enjoyed some of my research I got into, too, because I didn't realize about you know, how, how different the game was recently for the NHL, recently for the NBA with some of the rule changes that they made. And so it, it brought a lot of new information for me to really understand. And so, you know, I'm glad we did, did decide to uh, talk about this. So um, again, everyone, thank you for listening. I hope you uh, all enjoyed this episode of Read Between the Lines. Once again, if you have not followed or liked our Facebook or Twitter page, it is RBL Sports Podcast. Again, that is RBL Sports Podcast. We'd really appreciate a follow. We'd really appreciate that like. So, if any of you have any questions as well, or would like to just comment or email us to you know give us your feedback, anything like that, we're we're more than happy to hear it from you. Um, so, you can email us at RBL. Dot cast and crew at gmail.com. Again, that is rbl.cast crew at gmail.com. We look forward to uh, hearing from you and tune in for next week. All right, everyone, have a good night or a good day, good morning, whatever it may be. Have a good one.
1: Thanks for listening, guys.